Hello, and welcome to Women of the Wild. My name is Ashley Winchester, and you are listening to episode 12. I want to start off by thanking those of you who have become patrons over at patreon.com. Your contributions will help keep these episodes coming and continue to inspire more women in the outdoors. If you're curious about how you can help, please head on over to womenofthewild.com forward slash support to check out the options there. The link is also available in the show notes. You can sign up to be a monthly patron, or you can buy me a coffee so I can keep editing through the night. If that's not in the cards for you, please give Women of the Wild a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. This episode's guest is Abby Hall. Abby is an endurance athlete who recently completed an epic 223-mile journey on the John Muir Trail, which is also referred to as the JMT, or more appropriately, the Numu Poyo. Abby didn't backpack this trail in the usual fashion, and her speed and style choice gave her a -a one-of-a-kind adventure with magical memories, complete with aliens. Here she is. I'd like to welcome Abby Hall. Abby is here today from where? Boulder, Colorado. Boulder, Colorado. And Abby, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm Abby. I live in Boulder, I live in a little house here with my husband, Cordis, um, that we fix up on the weekends in our spare time. By day, I'm a graphic designer, um, and outside of work in the evenings and weekends and mornings, I'm a trail runner. I'm sponsored by Adidas Terex, and uh, I love to do things in the mountains, kind of ranging from kind of like faster racing to longer objectives, and uh, kind of re- recently pushed the outer bound of of that um, objective with uh, my recent go at the John Muir Trail. So I'm excited to talk to you about that today. Yeah, I'm super excited about it too, because I'm sort of doing this for my own good because I am so, I'm like a slightly obsessed with the John Muir Trail and you did exactly what I want to do. So I, I have to be um, a little bit selfish as far as this goes, because I, um, I want to learn everything from you. Right. So yeah, the John Muir Trail, also called... Numu Poyo, which you yep. brought up in one of your Instagram posts and you've made it very public. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think like kind of just in the process of researching this project, started reading a little bit more about the indigenous history. Um, and I think it's something that's just definitely entered the conversation a lot more, at least I've seen a lot more of in the past year or so. And I'm trying to make more of an effort to kind of to do my research and learn the history of some land before I go enjoy it. And so I think especially in the case of the John Muir Trail, kind of learning about, um, you know, how these places became famous and how, you know, John Muir, quote, discovered, you know, kind of discovered and stumbled upon these places. And while definitely he and, um, you know, Sierra Club, like, helped protect them from mining and all sorts of activities happening in, like, 1800s that would have ruined the land. Um, There were generations and generations of people before who were pouring into taking care of these places, not just, you know, like I think we often label these places as having been like wild and, uh, you know, kind of started digging at like, what is that definition of of wild? And uh, in this case, learned that like there were generations of people kind of tending to forestry and agriculture and um, really caring for these lands. And so I really wanted to kind of call that out in this project. I think especially just because it's such a popular route in recreation in the West. And uh, yeah, it kind of grew grew really near and dear to my heart during this. So um, 
it was cool to learn a bit more about that history. Um, and a couple of um, Indigenous women, Autumn Harry and um, Jolie Varela, um, they run Indigenous Women Hike in the Eastern Sierra. And uh, they did kind of a reclamation hike a couple years ago in which they kind of made more public a kind of renaming of their own of the JMT to be the Numapoyo, which um, is what their elders had referred to it as for years and years, as long as they remembered. And Numapoyo translates in Northern Paiute to the People's Trail. And I just, I loved, I love, I love learning that history. I love hearing what Indigenous people refer to it as, but also like that concept of the People's Trail is so beautiful to me and to me summarizes I think what I was trying to capture with like having learned about some of that in this process is like just that, that sharing of these special places over the years. Yeah. I think it's important to shed light on those histories and that area, you know, these areas that we explore were not quote unquote discovered by John Muir. They weren't, they weren't new to people. And so I, I do, I love that you, made that very public and have shared um, information about it because I do think it's really important. It's something that I've recently started doing as well. Mm-hmm. I was recently in Yosemite just before you were actually. <laughs> yeah, I spent some of my time there just doing some research on the area because mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's so iconic and beautiful and there's a lot of, a lot of history. So to anybody out there, whenever you visit a new area and start exploring, try doing a little bit of research and you might find yourself kind of really more engaged with the landscape and more sort of like emotionally attached to it um, because you're learning about it. So you did the Numupoyo, John Muir Trail. (laughs) Um, In what style did you do this? Yeah, so I chose to go unsupported, which you know, obviously shapes the experience tremendously. I had done an um, unsupported um, objective earlier in the summer with my husband, Cordis, um, called the Fifner Traverse here in the Front Range in Colorado. And we did that unsupported, and it was like a 32-hour push, um, big effort. And afterwards, I just came out of it so excited. Like, on the phone with my coach, I'm like, I want to do something unsupported and solo and bigger. And, and he was kind of like big, big. And I was like big, big. <laughs> and uh, he kind of, you know, revitalized the idea of the JMT for me. Um, I actually did a supported attempt in 2016 on it and totally just kind of botched the whole thing, like dropped out after day one. It was just like a bit over my head at the time in terms of, well, it was a bit over my head at the time, but also I think like the approach didn't set me up for success. So like by setting it up in a supported way, I think I was really only planning for plan A. Like it was kind of like FKT or bust. And I actually just wrote about this in a blog post, but it basically was like this idea of like, okay, I have enough calories with me for plan A, but then once it's going to take me eight hours later to get to my crew stop, I'm in a caloric deficit And since I didn't have sleeping gear with me, then I'm kind of, you know, having a cold night out and the logistics start to quickly pile up once that supported plan goes to the wayside. I think especially on something like JMT where the crew access points are very specific. Um, And so I don't know, I just, 
it was like the choice kind of was born out of this combination of like wanting to continue to push on this, you know, how far can I go unsupported? What can I do unsupported? But also this easing of logistics to set me up for success where it's like, I have everything in my pack to take care of myself at any given time. And there's in theory, no, nothing stopping me, no reason to, oh, well, I didn't have this and this and I ran out of the blah, blah, blah. And I couldn't take care of my blister in time and, you know, uh, eliminating room for things to unravel. So, and then I think I just kind of got excited as well about the, the idea of just being out there solo and thinking of, you know, Cordis drops me off at Whitney portal and I make my way to Yosemite in a handful of days <laughs> or more, <laughs> or more than a handful. <laughs> um, and there's just kind of something really alluring about that simple approach. And I know like this is your style too. Like you, that's right up your alley. So you definitely get, get the allure of that. Yeah, I, I totally do. Unsupported is my favorite way to take on any kind of effort, whether it's like, you know, a speed effort, FKT or, or, or something else, anything else. I just really love relying on myself 100%. And just knowing that I'm able to handle whatever comes. And then if I can't handle it, then figuring it out. Um, So there's something that's like, just really freeing and Mm -hmm. empowering about all of that. Um, And just like the simple movement of, you know, like putting one foot in front of the other and carrying everything on your back that you need is like, it's one of the reasons I love backpacking so much. It's like, this is my world, right? Like this is my home right now. It's just like, it's, it's pretty amazing. I love it. Even just hearing you describe it gets me so excited. I know. I know. (laughs) I was so excited leading into this conversation because I'm just like, I love the John Muir Trail so much. And I backpacked it last year. And it was years ago that I first came across and heard of the FKT for it. And it was always one of those things that it was like so far out of my reach. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still something that I, I really want to try my hand at someday. Um, just to, just to have the experience of like, you know, even if there's no way that I could get the FKT, I still want to like, you know, yeah. do the whole thing in five days or whatever. Oh, totally. So. To me, it feels like um, as far like it has such a deep FKT history that to me, it feels similar to say like a Nolan's 14 where like, like a finish is so admirable. Like a finish in a, in a committed style is really worthy of <laughs> worthy of your effort. And so I kind of quickly discovered that out there that it kind of became greater than this FKT and more about this kind of style I had chosen and committed to. And me, that kind of personal objective that it shifted to was like just as meaningful to me in the end. Yeah. So, I mean, you had uh, plan A, which was, you know, the FKT beating the current time, the women's time on it unsupported, Mm -hmm. but then plan B, plan C, like, yeah, where you just, you just wanted to do it and, yeah. and get it and get through it. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, it was like, it was weird the way it worked out because, um, I was like timing, I ended up doing all of my sleep like way earlier each day than I had planned. So it actually gave me the illusion the first couple of days that I was like 
very off the record because I was just going in my head of like, okay, Amber slept here, but like, I think looking back, like some of her sleeps would start at like 4am and I was going to bed at bed, (laughs) taking a nap at like, you know, 9pm in some cases, but then I would catch up. Like, so I was kind of, I felt like I was off of these splits, but I probably wasn't as far off as I was realizing. So it was like this weird kind of thing where then like day four, I get like an in-reach message from Cordis and he's like, you know, you're still, you're very much, you're in this, like, you know, like keep your eye on the prize and um, really keep going for that record. And then I think I like gunned like a little late. And um, so anyway, like it was kind of a weird, it was not until like very late, in like probably during day four that I realized like, okay, I'm like, I'm off of the record and I'm not going to be able to get it. And so really by then I was so far in it that I was just like, so excited at the thought that like I was doing it and I was going to even be like vaguely close to it. So there's definitely like my brain's definitely running through a lot of the scenarios of what I would do differently next time. Um, Because I think there's definitely like I was already saying like the next day, like I'm going back. Cause I think there's a lot of places I could improve. Um, just like the whole, the whole style was pretty new for me and going that long was really new for me. So there's obviously a lot to learn when you try something yeah, that, absolutely. that new. So yeah. yeah, definitely. I, and so how long did it take you to do the whole trail? I was, uh, my time was four days, 11 hours and 20 minutes. And what was the time that you were aiming for? Um, well, so the record was four days, five hours. Um, and then I was, my original splits, I was trying to go closer to like three, three days, 20 hours. And that was like, I kind of primarily based that off of Sue Johnston's time, who is a former supported record holder. She just had a very steady approach that I thought pacing wise could work well, but um there's obviously so many other variables that kind of pile up and weigh you down. <laughs> um, Especially so, over, over that distance. Yes, definitely. When you had the realization that you were too far off of the record to get to actually claim the record yourself, did mm-hmm. you ever, like, did you have a moment of anger or sadness or anything like that? Or were you just like, mm still happy that you were out there and doing it or both I was I was so happy like I so going into night four I was I had this big you know the kind of big like ambling climb to get up to Donahue kind of past all of those lakes and you know after studying on paper so long this section was new to me and it really like there's some there's some big drops in there and it just kind of keeps winding you up slowly, but surely to, to Donahue. I'm not sure what, what direction did you, did you do it last year? I went southbound. So I oh. went down that long. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, if there's anywhere, like I, I was adding up the splits in my head and like I, I had it kind of broken out by sections. This is like, say like from devil's post pile. I was like, okay, if I can get to the top of Donahue and like, say it was seven hours if I can do Donahue to Tomney in like three, like, like all of the A scenarios added up. And I was like, ah, oh, like almost like, like not actually, but like almost wishing that like it didn't add up <laughs> because it was like, okay, I've really got to like put it all out for it. And so actually 
just going into night four was probably like the, I don't know if it actually was pace wise, but like it felt like by far the most effort I was expelling the entire time. Like I was working really hard, like full on, um, like in the start of this climb, which I think, I think I didn't quite take into consideration just how, how heavy night four of night travel would weigh on me. And I, I was hallucinating so much in night four. Like it got, it got really, it got heavy. (laughs) And so, yeah, like I had this whole experience where I, this is true. I feel, I feel like I saw a UFO for like three hours. And so I actually traveled over Donahue without a headlamp on because I was convinced this UFO was following me. And so I was really, I'm trying not to like laugh out <laughs> because no. it, like I I know what it feels like to have hallucinations yeah. like that and you're like you're sitting there going this isn't real this isn't real but it's like it's real yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and so I think I was just so distracted just getting through that fourth night that like I don't know I think it kind of came and went this whole like I went from like gunning it and really trying to get the record and then it just kind of got all like washed away in this like like haze of hallucinations and just continue to put one foot in front of the other. And then I think by the time morning came around, like the reality sunk in of like, Oh my gosh, like I'm going to finish. I'm going to do it. Like I'm going to get to the end and see Cordis and eat pizza. And like, I don't know, there wasn't really ever this like sad moment of the record coming and going. And I've maybe felt that a little bit like in the days following, but overall it's just like, it's just such a cool experience that I really haven't felt that as much as I have for like other situations like that in the past. So yeah, I'm glad that I feel that way. It just feels more like about treasuring this thing I got to experience. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful that you're able to kind of push beyond, you know, like think beyond what, you know, those, those time goals are and just really be there and be in the moment. And then like, it's some of the most beautiful country you could ever experience. And just to be in that, it's really incredible um, that you're able to like, just still maintain that happiness and joy being out there. And I, you know, that's like something to kind of learn from too, as far as like, you know, when you go into efforts like these, it's Mm -hmm. not all about that, like a goal, you know, there's, there's so many other reasons to do these things. And, you know, even if like me, I, that record is so far out of my reach, I think, but it's like, I still want to go do it because it's such a beautiful thing. Um, It's like a gorgeous effort and like the trail's amazing. And, you know, pushing yourself like that is amazing. Um, You know, getting into those sleep deprived states is much as like miserable as it is it's still a pretty incredible learning experience oh yeah Um, so like I you know I highly recommend to anybody who has like any inkling or desire of wanting to do these things like start researching and figure it out because um you don't have to have a speed record in order to be successful with it yeah Um, it actually like it I feel like emotional just like hearing you talk about it because it's just like I um just like kind of just in the days following soaking it in was just having this feeling of like, man, that, that was like, those are some of life's greatest moments that I just got to have. Like some of those weird moments out there in the middle of the night. Like I think especially being out there 
like solo as a woman, like it's just powerful. Like I get so amped watching you do like all of your FKTs and like, I don't know, there's just something so cool. So like anyone listening to this, if you know, you're like ever wanting to do an overnight thing, go do it. Cause it's really formative and it really sticks with you. It's really cool. Yeah. And I do recommend, uh, reaching out to yeah. us. Like Absolutely. I'm sure Abby, you're like one of the nicest people I know. Um, <laughs> you'd be open to people asking questions and asking your opinion. Okay. And I certainly am as well. So, um, yeah, you know, if you're thinking about doing something big or what you feel is big or what seems big to you, just like ask questions. Um, yeah. cause like, especially as females in the outdoors, like we want to support other women getting out there and doing stuff. So, um, super important. Yes. Um, so let's like take a step back <laughs> and sort of like, how did you prep for something like this? Yeah. Totally. Well, so, um, the summer, like, honestly, I got my permit in, I think the first week in August. (laughs) So this all, and I started September 1st. So this was all, um, like I feel in a lot of ways, like I was kind of cramming for an exam of a class I didn't take is the way I put it in my blog post yesterday. Um, and I think, that was helpful to just admit that early on that like I wasn't going to become like a pro in fast packing in, you know, the four, four weeks or whatever that it was. It might've been actually at the very end of July that I got my permit, but going in, um, going in like training overall, like all summer, I had just been doing a lot of big mountain days. Um, Cordis and I did, um, the, uh, our attempt on the Fishner Traverse in July, which, um, like I mentioned was a big, like 32 hour push, um, before that we did like a big kind of mountain play training trip in the San Juans, um, and logged just like a a huge, like, I don't even know how many hours of, it was like a 110 mile week of, of some big, big days up high. Um, so that was like, definitely got me like fit for a lot of the summer adventures. Yeah. And then like, other than that, just kind of like keeping the body healthy and intact was like a big, a big part of me feeling confident going into it. Like in a lot of ways, I think I've drawn confidence from like training volume translating to some of these bigger days. So like, while I didn't have experience doing anything over a hundred miles, I felt like by breaking it down in terms of like, okay, well, it's not like too far off for me to do, you know, these back to back to back training days in some cases, it's like that, but a little longer than that. (laughs) Um, So I think like really the biggest thing that happened in the weeks leading up was kind of getting my gear systems in place and getting this familiarity with like my gear preferences and how I like to do things, what foods I like to eat, what, um, you know, like I have a lot of like ultra experience from eating, but I think it's like, it's a little different over like the true multi-day. And so (laughs) there's, yeah. (laughs) So like, um, I think it required, like I did a lot of just obsessive trip report reading and studying of people's blogs, asking friends who do like a lot more backpacking. Um, and then I did a few, um, like kind of like prepping overnight trips myself kind of in the weeks leading up. So 
I did um, one in um, the James Peak Wilderness, not far from home here. And then I did one with a friend, my friend Haley on the Colorado Trail. Um, and I think between both of those, like it got me just a little bit more equipped for like the heavier pack, the, the feeling of like starting a day, like out, you know, waking up under the star, under the stars or wherever it is, like sleeping out in the open and waking up and starting a day from there. That was kind of new for me. Um, but I think like the, the gear systems that I was probably obsessing over the most were like, was like the sleep setup. Um, and then kind of like the, this whole like bear canister situation, which you and I messaged about. Um, so like, it's funny cause the sleep system thing, like on the overnights that I did leading up, I was timing it so that I would be sleeping for like, you know, like a nice, like eight hours. And both of those, I walked away from feeling like, well, like it wasn't that comfortable going that light, but I kept remembering that I was going to be I was playing, I didn't do any sleeps longer than two hours out on the trail on JMT. So, um, I kind of took a chance knowing that like, I'm going to be really tired when I go to sleep and I'm not going to be sleeping for long. And so I kind of committed to this style choice of like kind of packing this very minimal sleep setup, which was a chopped, uh, thermo, 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 thermo light those Z pads, yeah, the yellow. Thermarest. Yeah, Thermarest. Yeah. A chopped down Thermarest pad, like from my hips to my head. Um, and then an SOL thermal bivy, which is like a step up from like the shiny gold ones. It's um, actually waterproof and has like Velcro down the sides. Um, so I knew in a pinch I could use that as like a waterproof shelter if needed, where I would just tuck myself into the whole thing and just be like this little waterproof pellet if I really needed it. <laughs> um, so that was my sleep setup that I chose. And I think along with it was this kind of style choice of I'm going to, if I, if I can sleep, great. If not, you get up and keep moving until you are tired and then you sleep. If you're cold, get up and keep moving. If you're whatever it is, get up and keep moving. So um, that was like helpful because I was really going back and forth on that for a while of like, do I bring a sleeping bag and should I have a shelter? And in the end, I just was super minimal. Yeah. Um, it's not about comfort at that point. Yeah. It's all about yeah. weight and ease. That's one thing I found is that, you know, if you take a shelter with you, if there's any kind of like process for setting it up or taking yes. it down, it it's useless when you're moving yeah. like that, because you were laying down for like at the most, a couple of hours, it's like right. not worth setting up a shelter, crawling inside of it. And then also, I kind of feel like if you set up for comfort, it's really easy to just be like, oh, I'm just going to stay another hour. I'm tired. I'm just yeah. going to lay here for another 45 minutes. And then, you know, so you end up yeah. kind of wasting time a little bit by doing it that way um, totally. when you're going for speed. So yeah, sense, I, I've struggled a little bit with sleep systems too, because I hate mm -hmm. being cold. <laughs> Me too, that the thought of getting chilled like beyond the point of return feels like really scary to me yeah that's yeah. that's really scary to me too i actually usually carry a couple of those um they're like thermacare back mm -hmm. heating pads and they're like oh. they're pretty small 
and pretty lightweight and yeah. you just get them in like the pain relief section of whatever local pharmacy and therefore yeah. like back pain. And they're just like the little hand warmers and stuff. They heat up when they're exposed to air and those things, I swear by them. I take them up into the mountains when I'm guiding. Um, I'll shove them into the bottom of my sleeping bag <laughs> to warm oh, up my feet. Cool. They're wonderful. Uh, that is great. And wow. It, yeah. And it gives you a little bit of, um, security. It seems like, yeah. like I have, I have another option, you know, yeah. I totally know what you mean because when you, there's nothing more vulnerable feeling than having all your layers on and, and being like, all right, this is, I hope this is as bad as it gets because this is all I got. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when you get that cold and you can't sleep because you're shivering and you have all of your layers on, you're like, the only thing I can do is get up and start moving. Right. And if it's cold enough, even that is not enough to fully warm you up. So you're just right. like praying for daylight. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm glad oh. we can kind of like commiserate on this. I was it's like, gonna say. <laughs> it's something that scares me a lot on these big efforts. Yeah. So speaking of fear, what was it like going into this and kind of not being a hundred percent prepared? Was it scary to kind of look at this huge thing? Yeah. <laughs> like totally. It was totally terrifying. Um, I think the piece I was probably the most nervous about going into it was partially like the night in this, like kind of all these lumped in fears that go along with it of like, of animals and cold and storms and hallucinations or the thought of something medical going wrong, like, you know, some ultra related thing, like, you know, whatever that I come down with and, you know, having to take care of myself. There's that. And then there's this whole kind of just emotional self-sufficiency piece of like being solo. And I was really like scared of kind of getting homesick and kind of feeling like I can feel that even in, in a race sometimes of like, you know, missing, like missing people that I know or missing my husband or missing, you know, being comfortable. And it's actually so funny because I was, I mean, I was fixated on these fears going into it truly like laying in bed every night thinking about, oh my gosh, you know, in three days, in two days, like doing the countdown in my head, I'm going to be out there. It's going to be night and I'm going to be out there by myself. And what if, what if, what if? And it's so funny because I didn't get homesick one bit and the night ended up being probably my favorite part of the whole experience. Like I loved the nights. And so, <laughs> so it was really, yeah, like the fear definitely was very dominant in my mind going into it and just ended up being very different than what the experience was. It's amazing how those kinds of fears can, I mean, they can really hold you back. Yeah. And good. then once you're in it, you're like, that was totally unnecessary. Like, what was I so afraid of? Right. Um, so what was it about the nights that you loved so much? Well, so I totally lucked out full. I started September 1st and a full moon started September 1st. Um, couldn't have planned it better. And there was no storm systems the whole time. Um, so everything was like crystal clear. Um, and the smoke was really not an issue after I left the Whitney zone um, until Yosemite. So the whole middle stretch was smoke free. And I would just like, usually like the timing worked out that, you know, there's so many passes on the whole thing. Like I'd usually start a pass 
like kind of right and was going down and get to the top of the pass in dark. It seemed, seemed like it worked out this way every night. I'd get to the top of the pass and it would just be like moonlight on these, all of these lakes. You see all the, all the sparkles of the lakes, like off in the distance and on the granite faces. And, um, you know, like I'm sure you hear this too with a lot of FKTs, but like, and also being like a backpacking community, but there's this like tension of like, but when you travel at night, you miss all the beauty. And I felt like I was like experiencing this new kind of view, which was really a fun surprise. And I didn't quite expect how beautiful it would still be at night. So that really kept me going. Um, and I think too, there was just like this kind of excitement I would get at like being like, I'm doing it. I'm making it through the night right now. Like I'm, you know, like seeing animals up that's deer. Like I'm moving down the trail, I'm eating, I'm filtering my water. Like I kind of just got very present in the night because I think it was something that I had dreaded so much going into it that I was like extra amped to not be falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, a good feeling <laughs> to yeah. not be falling apart. Yeah. Um, and there is, I actually was at South Lake, which is just outside of Bishop, the, the night that you were near the Palisades. Oh yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. And yeah. so I was actually, um, sitting in my tent and like looking at <gasps> the moon, like reflecting oh. off of the granite and it just, the moon, like that. the full moon on the granite, it just glows. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. That's so cool. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I kept thinking like, Oh, I wonder if I like just ran over Bishop pass real quick. Yeah. If I could like run into you. <laughs> that would be so fun. I know. Yeah. That was the night. Yeah. Like I went by the Palisades and then I think I did mirror pass that morning. That would, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, cool. That would make sense. Yeah. Um, I know it was funny that we happened to be in the area when you were yeah. doing that. And it was just like, Every chance, you know, every time I got into cell service, I was like, I got to check on Abby. Oh, <laughs> so and you do have actually a big gear list and yeah. food list on your blog too. So if anybody yeah. like wants to read through your massive like checklist and you have, yeah. I mean, it's like down to, you have weight <laughs> on everything yeah. you have, like <laughs> what you used and you know, how much of it you used. So that's like, pretty useful stuff actually i yeah. i think i'll be referencing that going into some of my yeah uh, endeavors <laughs> good. and you did it you mentioned the smoke you finished yeah. like right before the whole like all of california was shut down from the fires yes i feel like i really threaded the needle there um as soon as i came over cathedral pass like really close into yosemite this haze kind of started to accumulate. And I think it was the, the Shaver Lake fire that was nearby that really was coming in very strong from the South. I mean, deep amber, fresh smoke. Um, and as I was descending from Cathedral Pass into Yosemite, I mean, it got really, um, I would say pretty like harrowing. <laughs> like it was, um, it was really bizarre. I mean, if I had been anywhere earlier on the trail, like it would have been a showstopper. But like at that point I was, I was probably two hours from the finish. So it was getting really bad. So it wasn't like enough of a thing to like derail the final couple hours. Um, but what was so bizarre and, you know, for you, you know, Yosemite, it's like 
those like whole stretches by half to like the turn off for half dome and clouds rest and little Yosemite Valley empty. Like there was hardly anyone up there. And so it was like this super surreal feeling to be up in these places and then running through the burn scar from the fires there like two years ago, I think it was 2018 that that was all burning. It was just so bizarre, like running through a burn scar, ash just raining all over me, dark orange skies, no people around. And I was kind of wondering like, had they done, like had rangers come through and done like an evacuation and I somehow made it in. And um, I did run into like one party of campers and they were like, you know, I just kind of like verbal processed with them. I was like, I'm good running down, right? Like that's the safe direction. And they were like, yes, like the fire's coming in from this. We just got updates on our phones. So I was trying to kind of like do my checks and balances um, and make sure I wasn't running into an unsafe situation. But fortunately it did get better as I, as I descended into the valley. I mean, better in that it was, um, it just felt like I was kind of getting beneath that layer of really thick, intense smoke. But yeah, I mean, when I finished, it was pretty, pretty startling because I definitely had expected this, you know, moment of like Yosemite grandeur and like, you know, like emotions running high. And it was actually just kind of a terrifying finish. Um, yeah. And it was just a matter of just hurrying down as quick as, and I actually ran, um, I ran quite a bit from like in that, from that descent into the valley, which um I hadn't really run prior to that. So um, I definitely was just trying to focus on finishing hard. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. And that's such a scary feeling when you don't know what's going on and yeah. there's smoke like that. It's terrifying, especially yeah. with, you know, the recent wildfire history in California right. and how fast those fires can move through the forest. It's, it's a really scary feeling. Um, so yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you're okay. And I'm glad you made it through that. And I'm glad it was just like the very end too. You didn't have to deal with it for very long. Yeah, totally. And I actually do have like, um, I normally am someone who has, um, some lung issues and actually like, even from those last few hours, my lungs didn't flare up at all. So I feel really fortunate that I somehow made it out unscathed. Um, but I definitely feel for, you know, a lot of the fellow hikers and trail users that I was meeting and seeing out there and thinking, Oh, like it sounds like probably most of them had to, had to end their journeys early, but definitely feeling for, for those who didn't get to finish. What was it like for you coming up to that finish line and seeing your husband and just knowing that Uh, it's done and you did it? uh, It was like the best finish ever. I was, I mean, like, besides the smoke and all of that weirdness, just emotionally, I think um, I had gotten a message on the, um, actually on my phone, because I had service in Tuolumne from Cordis that said something like, you know, keep going as hard as you can to the finish. Like, don't let up. And um, I really, like, took that to heart and really tried to run as much as I could hard, you know. Of course, I look back at my splits and it looks like I wasn't doing anything, but it felt so hard. <laughs> I was giving it everything I could right up until the last bit. And I think it wasn't until kind of those final um, switchbacks coming down towards like Vernal Falls that I was really feeling the weight of like, man, this is this thing that I've, I've dreamt of for a really long time. And I've always wondered like what it would feel like to like get to Yosemite and I'm in it right now. And um, I just felt really present and, uh, and like deeply appreciative of that. Um, 
and yeah, just like the feeling of finishing and uh, seeing Cordis was like the most special thing. And he like immediately was just like shocked at how filthy I was because <laughs> I was like, which I totally didn't realize because in that weird overnight on Donahue, I was just like pretty much just like throwing out my pad and collapsing like half in the dirt, half on my pad. And I was just like, <laughs> coated in this layer of filth and he was like what happened to you out there just like so startled um and so there's this kind of weird like culture shock of like you know we had some uh fellow like adidas crew people there and they handed me like one of those metal metal cups of of water and i was like this is so like just like the little detail like this metal cup drinking clean water like water that didn't need to go through a filter it was like felt so like pure and civilized. <laughs> uh, yeah. And Cordis had like a pizza waiting for me and ice cream and all of my demands. <laughs> Perfect. So it, was, it was a special one. Like definitely feel emotional thinking on that one. And yeah. Yeah. That cool. sounds, it sounds so amazing. I haven't, I haven't taken on something that big yet. And so like, I can only imagine what it feels like to finish it. Cause like even, even something that lasts as long as 24 hours, it's like, you have that, that same sort of emotional, like, wow, I did it. I'm done. Oh my gosh. You know, like yeah. this disbelief yeah. and yeah, to go, you know, almost four and a half days yeah. is like, really crazy. Yeah. Are you still trying to like work through it and comprehend it? Definitely. I feel like in my brain, I still keep thinking of being out there. Like I, like, like I just picture like a section of the trail and then like in my brain, I'm there like while I'm here, it's really weird. Um, and so I definitely feel like, I definitely feel like I miss, I just miss the feeling of having my pack on. I miss being out there. I miss like the way everything was situated and just kind of how, um, narrowed the scope was like, I, I think I didn't feel some of that homesickness and fear that I was worried about going in because I just narrowed my scope to like the present as much as I could. And it didn't take as much mental effort as I thought it would to get there in terms of like that state of mind. Um, and, uh, and I miss that, that level of simplicity. It's like a really special thing and I already can't wait to get back in that zone. Um, definitely feels a little, addicting in that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're definitely getting me excited for, for future things. Yes. It is, it is an oddly addictive feeling to yeah. push through the night and, you know, experience a full moon and, you know, yeah. it's just, it's hard to put into words. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Like, I feel like, man, if that's the, like, biggest best thing I ever do like I feel pretty proud of that <laughs> um yeah. but I also feel like it'll keep leading to other really cool things and the journey of pursuing those things is like my favorite thing ever I'm sure you you learned so much from this process and from the whole experience that you're going to be able to take that and apply it towards everything else you do in your life yeah I feel that like even the thought of um like it just anytime you're like reaching a new low, it really sticks with you of like, oh, I can go there. I can get, I can dig that deep. And man, it's cool to just keep relearning that again and again, how yes. deep we are all capable of digging. 
the human body and the human mind are amazing things. Really are. Yeah. Well, I have one more question for you. What is your superpower? My superpower. I like it. I think my superpower might be keeping going. <laughs> is that a superpower? Can it be? Tenacity? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like I can not quit for a long time. <laughs> and I feel like, uh, I guess, what, I don't, I'm trying to picture what kind of superhero that would be. Sounds kind of boring, but. <laughs> Captain Tenacity. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tenacity sounds a lot more polished. <laughs> I'm just purely keeping going. But I think, yeah, it might be Tenacity. Um, I guess in the context of like, you know, ultra kind of things. In the context of the rest of life, it might just be like, right now it feels like I'm the super, like my superpowers are eating and sleeping. <laughs> As they should be. After <laughs> like setting like alarms in the morning that are like no there's no way I can sleep that late and sure enough I get there every time (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. the body I mean it needs time to heal for sure (laughs) and calories yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) well um if somebody wants to find you and your blog um where can they find you um, my husband and I like share our website. It was actually our old wedding website that we co-opted into our um, blog. So it's just spelled out abbyandcordis.com. Um, and we post updates there on adventures and we will each take turns writing things on there and um, trying to post a little bit more on there too about like gear and things like that, like the gear list you mentioned too, because I think people like reading those specifics. Um, and then um, on Instagram, I'm abby.k.hall abby.k.hall all right and i'll link to those in the show notes too so it'll be easy to find well abby thank you so much for joining me today um it was super fun talking to you and yeah i can't wait to see what you do next thank you so much ashley this was awesome